Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I get into SmackDown from this past Friday, and we talk about The Fiend and Goldberg that's taking place in Saudi on Thursday afternoon. Are we going to see a new WWE Universal Champion in Goldberg? And if so, what would that do to The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, moving forward? Also, we have a great sit-down conversation with Dustin Rhodes, of AEW. We talk about the new AEW toy line, but we also talk about the young locker room and some of the seminars that Dustin has been doing for the roster. And then we get into what we saw this past Saturday in the world of boxing. That's Tyson Fury and Wilder and how it relates to the WWE, the WWE influence on that fight, and can we see Tyson Fury at WrestleMania 36? All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Goldberg turns around, knows he's behind him, spears the Fiend Bray Wyatt. As Cole said, he is hurt. He was down. Goldberg's like, come on, get up, come on, lights go out. Then the Fiend Bray Wyatt is gone from the ring. And that sets up, as Michael Cole just said, on the WWE Network on Thursday at 12 o'clock, right? As soon as we sign off the air here, Bully, on Thursday, it's going to go right into uh, Super Showdown at, in Saudi Arabia. And very, very interesting, too, because to me, after everything the Fiend Bray Wyatt did to Daniel Bryan, what the Fiend Bray Wyatt did to The Miz, what the Fiend Bray Wyatt did to Seth Rollins, I mean, completely threw Seth Rollins off so that we saw a whole new change and character from Seth Rollins. To me, there is no way Goldberg can win this match on Thursday afternoon. To me, Goldberg needs to be just another victim for the fiend Bray Wyatt. Because what does that tell you about everything he's done prior? And what does that mean to the fiend Bray Wyatt moving forward if he loses that championship to Goldberg? I understand what you're saying. And to an extent, I agree with you. But I've heard rumblings within the WWE that nothing is set in stone on on the SmackDown side when it comes to the champ the Universal Championship for WrestleMania. A lot of stuff is in the state of a lot of matches are in the state of flux. I think we only have two definitive matches so far set. You know, Brock and um, Brock and uh, and Drew and Charlotte and Rhea. Everything else is up for grabs. So. What we know Roman is going to be involved somehow, and I think it's probably time for them to kind of get Roman back into the championship mix. Although I can't say 
positively if I think that's a good idea or not. But what gets you more? Would you rather see Roman versus The Fiend for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania? Mm. Or would you rather see Roman versus Goldberg for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania? That's a great question. Because, like you said, you know, is Roman going to get back into the championship picture? One thing we know for certain after watching SmackDown on Friday, the match with Baron Corbin on Thursday in Saudi is going to be the last time they meet. So this story is over once we get to Saudi Arabia on Thursday. So then begins the story for Roman Reigns leading to WrestleMania. And from what you're saying, I get it. Like, at WrestleMania, I'd probably rather see Roman Reigns against Goldberg than the Fiend Bray Wyatt against Roman Reigns. That Fiend character is so, so deep. And we've already seen Goldberg take it to him. I'm not really sure like what we would get out of it, what the story would would be about. Like, I don't know. I think I'd need to see The Fiend, you know, like eat Goldberg's children or something like that for me to be really be invested. Now I see Goldberg just take it to him. I'm just wondering if he's going to take it to him in Saudi. We get the title change over there. We get the championship change over here. Now Goldberg comes back for a short run and we get Roman versus Goldberg. And I think Roman versus Goldberg will be surprisingly good and surprisingly entertaining. Listen, just a couple of years ago, Goldberg and Brock was was definitely good. They kept it sweet, short, and simple, and it worked. I think Roman and Goldberg could do the same between seven and ten minutes of a good hard-hitting, you know, spears and clotheslines and, you know, some good, some good simple, stiff, hard-hitting stuff. And I think they can get the job done and get the championship maybe over to Roman if that's the direction they're going. Um, nobody is so super over right now that it's definitive to me. I, it's not like, okay, they're definitely going in this direction or this direction. I think we can agree, Dave, that they kept Roman away from the Universal Championship pretty long now, and it's probably time to get back to him. If not him, then who? And you know what? I think it'd be more accepted, especially with somebody like Goldberg, because I think people would actually at WrestleMania be cheering for Goldberg. Hell, we saw it at WrestleMania 34 where the fans in Orlando were che- were cheering for Brock when he went up against Goldberg for that championship. So I think the same thing would occur at WrestleMania 36 in Tampa. And you mentioned that there's not really anybody that that's over right now in the WWE, and I agree. And I mean that in the, in the sense of the Fiend Bray Wyatt. Like, the Fiend Bray Wyatt is this over-the-top personality and character. Kind of reminds me of back in the day of, like, a Kevin Sullivan. But when Kevin Sullivan was wreaking havoc in Florida, you had the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. You don't have that wrestler right now in the WWE. So where is the Fiend Bray Wyatt? Where does it lead to? This is where, what you always say, Bully, where they painted themselves into a corner. You should have never put a championship title on a character and a personality like the Fiend. You didn't need to do it. So now here you are on that road to WrestleMania, and I don't know who would be the right person to put in the ring with somebody like Bray Wyatt. Would John Cena work? John, you know what? Yes. <laughs> Bingo, Bully, you just threw out a name where I think that would work. I think because John Cena is that over-the-top, ultra-baby face. You know, he's now gotten the respect that he didn't really get when he was wrestling, but now he's more appreciated since he's been gone. But again, that match doesn't need to be 
for a championship title. You could have the squeaky clean babyface like John Cena going over this, you know, this horrific, horrible character and personality like the Fiend Bray Wyatt. That works. But again, you don't need to have a championship title to have that match. And when it comes to the Fiend, I'm so confused and I'm not using the word confused in the normal negative way I do on the show because confusing is never good. I'm using it in a way where I'm not quite sure if I like The Fiend or not. Technically, I'm supposed to boo this guy, right? Yeah. Technically, he's a psychotic, you know, multi-personality killer who does all these bad things and screws with people's head. I kind of dig him. Uh, I, I dig the character. The character has so much depth. So... I, 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 it's not clear cut to me. Can John Cena stand across from the fiend and have good promo segments and stuff like that leading up to it? Absolutely. I mean, can we get Goldberg and Roman Reigns without a championship? Absolutely. Um, where does that leave everybody else? I'm not really sure. It's, it, it really is cloudy on the SmackDown side right now. And if you rely on people like Cena and Goldberg, listen, even bringing Goldberg back shows one of the age-old problems that the WWE has been experiencing for a while now. And it's no coincidence that I use age-old because they're having to refer, you know, yes. go back to their older guys that are up there in age. You know, even a guy like Cena, who cares how great he is? He's still, he's been around forever. And now here comes WrestleMania time. So we roll out John and here comes WrestleMania. We roll out Goldberg and who knows, maybe we'll roll out Undertaker again. Technically, I don't have a problem with doing things like this because it's Vince McMahon's responsibility to put on the greatest WrestleMania every single year. And then I say to myself, well, come on, guys, who's getting over enough to, to not have these guys come back and take their place. And then you'd have most of the guys saying, well, Bubba, we're trying to get over, but the company won't let us get there. It is a very vicious circle of who can get over in the WWE. You know, Vince says, grab the brass ring. All right, Vince, you told me to grab the brass ring, but you're handing me a ladder with three steps. Yeah, and and you can see it, especially on SmackDown, because you're watching like a Nakamura and you're watching a Cesaro that you know are great in the ring and are actually people that you want to get behind, but they're kind of just lost in the sauce on SmackDown and not taking anything away from Goldberg, but I felt like I've been here before. When Goldberg took the microphone, he's like, it's great to be back. It's like, I've heard that from you already. Like, we've, we've, I, you know, I've seen this movie before. We've been down this road before. So it's hard for me to get excited when Goldberg's making that entrance when we've seen that complete scenario before. And like you said, usually on our road to WrestleMania. So sure, we all got busy schedules and don't have time to spend hours at the gym. That's why there is F45, a 45-minute group workout that's effective as it is fun. F45 sweat-dripping, heart-pumping, high-intensity workouts merge three leading edge fitness training styles into a functional training experience unlike any other. This experience, accessible to all fitness levels, is built on innovation, motivation, and results that creates an environment in which goals are met and exceeded. Whether your goal is to lose weight, build muscle, create healthy habits, or meet fitness-minded friends, F45 has something for everyone. 
Once you take your first F45 class, you'll be hooked. The pulsing, upbeat, team training atmosphere will make you feel welcome, and our thousands of exercise combinations will keep you guessing every day. So, are you ready to find your nearest studio and join the F45 global fitness community? Dial pound 250 on your cell phone and say F45 membership. They'll send you a location link directly to your phone. That's pound 250, keyword F45 membership. Dustin Rhodes, sir, how are you today? Good, brother. Appreciate the time as always. And please talk about the new line of the AEW action figures and, of course, being a part of the New York Toy Fair. Well, this is my first toy fair, but seeing these action figures, they really did their homework on these uh, with all the scans and everything. And the detail is, is, is pretty unbelievable, man. I mean, all of my tattoos, all my arms and things like that, which nobody's ever got to see from my past action figures, now they can see them. And my daughter pointed it out because I hadn't seen it yet because I just got here yesterday. But she saw a picture of her face on my left arm, so I had to see it when I got here, man. And it was pretty special. So we kind of share the same action figure, and that that makes it special for me. So this is probably the greatest action figure I've ever seen. See, I, I love it, and I'm partial to myself, but it's it's pretty pretty special for me. See, this is really Ooh. interesting because I didn't even think about it until you just said it. Like every other action figure that you have had. You know, your arms have been covered up. You've had the costume on, and now you can actually show. So even though you've been in this business and there's been multiple action figures made of you, that this new line of AEW action figures is showing a different dimension of you than ever before. It is. I mean, you know, when, you, when you're when you for 20 some odd years in a sex suit, a gold dust sex suit, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, you're covered up head to toe. You can't breathe. You can't do anything. It's, uh, it's different. I mean... There was a Galoob toy, uh, Dustin Rhodes, in the early 90s that, that they only had in circulation in the U.K., and it, it's a, like a, a sought-after sought action figure. It's, it goes for high money, and I've got a, a couple of them at the house, but I didn't have tattoos then, and it's cool to see all the ink and how detailed they got. Dustin, you got a brand-new action figure. Obviously, you're doing great work in AEW. Can you kind of describe to us and our listeners what it feels like to have this career resurgence and what it means to you, your career, and your life in general? Well, man, um, leaving WWE, I was very deflated and had lost my passion. And Cody picks up the phone and he calls me and we, we get this match double or nothing, put down on paper, very nervous about it, you know, at my age, I didn't know if I could still perform at such a high level. I questioned myself a lot and I went in there and did it. And for, for me and Cody, that night was perfect. And we, 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 we nailed a home run and we, we knocked one out of the park and it was a very special. It is, and it has topped all of my former uh, greatest moments in the, the wrestling industry for 32 years and five, over five decades. This was, this was the one. This was the one that I wanted to do for years and years and years, and we finally did it. And we pulled it off with a great story, great emotion. People were invested in it, and that's, that's what the wrestling business is all about. It took me back to, like, 1986. And from that 
day and that moment in the MGM Grand Arena, I found my passion again. And since then, you know, I've been plugged in here and there doing some unbelievable things with guys that just, their, their talent is off the hook with their high-flying moves and things. And that's never been been me and what I do and what I'm about. But I fit myself in there and occasionally do some stuff that actually shocks the people and shocks me. And it, it's a good feeling. So every single week, man, we're trying to outdo the last one. And it is a very passionate, hungry place right now. And it is fun to go to work. It is not depressing at all. It is unbelievably fun to go in there, to train my, my girls' class, to teach him how to cut promos, to, um, you know, to coach them along the way. Everybody seems to be working as a team in a unit right now, which is very important. There aren't any troublemakers from what I see yet, and I hope that there never will be. But everybody's on the same page. Everybody's working together. When one falls, we pick them up. And that's very important in AEW and getting this off the ground and being a success that it has become and will become even greater. Dustin, earlier in the show, myself and Dave were talking about how I thought it was really important for the younger talent in AEW to sit under your learning tree because when it comes to the art of working, I don't believe that there's anybody better in AEW. Can you tell me what it's like with these younger talents? Do they search you out for the knowledge? Do you find yourself having to sit them down? And how receptive are they to all of the knowledge you have to, to, to pass down to them? So, so far, they have, they have approached me. And that, that makes me feel really good that they are approaching me, that, you know, it shows me that they want to learn something different, a different way to do something, a different way to tell a story or get into a move, a transition, whatever it may be, a sell, you know, that less is more at times, most times less is more. And uh, they're, they're seeking me. And, and I see, like, when I tell them something, they soak it in because I see it on TV and I see them do what I – I taught them to do differently, you know, and it might be one or two things, but that's great that they're listening and they're, they're adding it into their rep, you know, their style, how they would do it, but it's just in a different way. And it, it's good to see that. And you can see the crowd react a little differently than they normally would react if they did it the way that I told them not to do it. And that right there is very rewarding for me. That makes me feel good. That makes me feel like these guys – are on a respect level, and it's cool to see that these kids are respecting somebody who has been in the business and does know how to tell stories and actual work. And then you have your high flyers that will go out there and do 15,000 dives or or what. And you know what? That's what's good about our company. We have like an array of – a diverse array of everything. We have old-school storytelling matches. We've got high-flying matches. we got it all. And I think that that is why we are not only um, um, an alternative, but we're actually the cure. We're, we're actually the fix, the fix that, that is something completely 110% different and fun. And it reminds me of just some old school WCW NWA days. And I love that about this company, man. The girls from, from top to bottom, they are very receptive very hungry, passionate, and wanting to learn. Because 
let's face it, they have most of them have not been on TV ever, and they've been in you know the Indies and and doing things and just blank buildings with no television. Now you've got TVs in your face constantly, and you they have to get some direction. And I'm there to help them if they want it. And it sounds like from everything that you're saying, and Cody has been you know pretty busy on social media saying the same thing that that they are receptive to the seminars and there has been good showings at these seminars. And, and, you know, Dustin, like for like professional sports franchises, you know, it's not always, you don't need a superstar in every position, but everyone needs to know their role and it needs to be chemistry. And from what you're saying, it sounds like there's a lot of chemistry right now in the AEW locker room. You know, I think the, the seminars was our first of many more to come. And it was, Originally, just to to have everybody feel this camaraderie type thing and learn at the same time, because Dean is unbelievable with the things that he can teach, and he had a hell of a class. The promo class I had uh, was designed to scare them, to really frighten them just a little bit, and to make them uncomfortable. Because that's if it's very it's a daunting task to cut a promo in front of your peers, the guys you hang around with every single day because you're worried. Are they going to like this? Are they going to laugh at me? And I, and I just explained to them how to, you know, you treat this like your matches. You tell a story with your promo. You make this real. But what I had Tony Schiavone do and Lexi was that I would have them each come up and cut a minute-and-a-half, two-minute promo without knowing what they're talking about. Tony would, would pitch a subject and they went off of that. And it was a difficult thing. Some of them took it good. Some of them got better as we went on because we did it a couple of times. And you could see, like, a couple of them, it was uncomfortable for them. And if we can get them out of their, you know, comfort zone and make them feel that uncomfortable feeling, they're going to get better doing it. Because if you can do it in front of your peers, you can do it in front of anybody. Dustin, is it is it odd that, you have to have promo class with with wrestlers who are wrestling on national television. I mean, think about yourself when you first came up in the business working for WCW and having to go through promo class. I mean, that stuff like that never happened for you or myself. Why do we find ourselves in a situation where we have to have something deemed a class to help younger students where is the business lacking why aren't these younger wrestlers learning the art of cutting a promo as they're coming up in the business because i think a lot of them just have never thought about that you know i I think a lot of them never took it to the extent of and i explained this in the promo class you talk to yourself in the mirror you talk to yourself when you're driving down to the next town, down the road, whatever it may be. Because I do that constantly still today. If I have a promo that I'm thinking about for a pay-per-view with Jake Hager, there's two weeks, you know, that I've been practicing in mirrors and things like that to nail the lines that I want to nail and make it as real as possible. And it's asking. It's asking the veterans, the Arn Andersons, like when I grew up, you know, uh, the people that stuck out to me that would help me with my promos. It was Arn Anderson in my early days, and it was nerve-wracking. And I was terrible at it and very scared to be out in public uh, talking, you know, to about some angle because I was so scared. I, I just second-guessed myself. And the more you did it, the more you, you have repetition you have, the better it's going to become. 
And some people get it really quick, and some people it takes a while. MJF is a prime example of it, but you have to give MJF direction. You know what I mean? Otherwise, he's going to push it too far. So you have to pull back on MJF. He's a great talker. He can talk him. He can talk people into the building and talk talk people into hating his guts. But you have to give him a little direction, and he's going to be fine. And then there's others who need full on freaking coaching, and you know a script and and this and that, you know, and then to put it in their own words. And that's a whole other ball game, man. You get a script, you have to make that your own. You can't read it off of a writer's out of a writer's mind, you know, because maybe you wouldn't say certain words. So you've got to make this your own. And those are big things that these kids have to learn that they've never learned before. But if we can get them comfortable doing it with promo classes, with me there, not screaming at them, not yelling at them, but teaching them why you need to say this this way, give me your facial expressions this way. It's very important. TV wants to see those emotions. The people at home want to feel you. We need to get them invested in our product and what you're saying so that they believe and they want to see whatever match you're talking about. Those are the important things that, that re- we really need today. You know, it's funny, uh, Bully earlier in the show was talking about the Tyson Fury boxing fight from this past weekend yeah. and how he was fully invested in it because it really told the stories of both both participants, so you felt like you knew them. You knew their backstory, and that really added to the experience of the fight on Saturday. And I kind of feel AEW has done the same thing. We notice in a lot of wrestling you don't get the human side, and I think AEW has done a really good job of kind of bringing that human element into the wrestling. And, and no better example is what we saw on uh, this past Wednesday with Cody in that match in Atlanta. And, and I really think you guys are doing a good job tapping into that. We, we are, and it's getting better and it's still a work in progress for some. And that, that's okay. You know, that's okay. We will get better and they will get better. It is a lot of like the Tyson fight, man. Um, it is charisma. They need charisma. If you don't have charisma, you're dead in the water. You have to bring out your charisma. You have to find something within you and step outside of your comfort zone. That is the most important thing to be a success is to step outside of your little bubble and box and create something that is magical for everybody that they want to see and strike lightning and ride that lightning bolt. Dustin, obviously yourself and Cody, the two sons of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, how often do you and Cody find yourself agreeing or disagreeing when it comes to wrestling psychology? Uh, wrestling psychology, I think we're pretty even. Uh, because without the old school, and I say this to, to Cody, I said it to I say it to all the kids. Without the old school, there is no new school. You had you had to learn it somewhere, and the old school still works. And Cody has the old school in him, but he also has the new school, and, and we've changed in that aspect. So. Him and I pretty much agree on how things old school should be run. Yes, he doesn't agree with everything, and I might think a certain way on the outcome of a match or what we should do, as, and he has a different view on it, and he's handling it very well and doing a tremendous job behind the scenes as, as an executive and as talent. It's amazing to watch him, and I know Dad is proud of both of us for, for the legacy that we continue to 
give the world. And, uh, you know, we're not going to stop anytime soon. I'm just getting a little bit older, but, hell, I've survived it all, man. There's no reason I can't survive a little bit longer. Well, I'm looking forward to this Saturday's uh, revolution on pay-per-view. You're going up against Jake Hager at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago. This is a big one. And I guess just a few thoughts about what we're going to see on Saturday. Well, here's the deal with Jake. He's been out of the wrestling business for a little while. So I know what I'm getting myself into. This is going to be a... I'm going to be very sore, let's put it that way, after this match. But Jake, having the undefeated uh, streak that he has in MMA, he's a tough kid. But it seems he just wasn't tough enough on this last one, you know, with the low blows and all. He broke my arm, man. I want a piece of his ass. I'm going to get a piece of his ass, and I'm going to look him. He can knock me down a thousand times, and I'm going to keep getting back up and look him square in the eyes and fight him to the very end. I will not quit. I will not fail in this. I will, I will give him everything that I have because everything that he has, I have already seen. I've already been through, and I've survived it all. That's why I'm it's old for a reason, because I have survived. And, you know, 50 is just a number. The talent is everything. And I, my talent is off the charts compared to Jake Hager's. You just got to dodge and weave, man, because he's a big boy. He's a big boy, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm tired of talking about it, though. Let's let's get this shit on. Well, it's 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 on on Saturday. Jake Hager and Dustin Rhodes again. Revolution on pay per view at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago. Looking forward to that. And again, you know, Dustin talked about the the AEW action figure line. You can go to Jazzwares.com to find out all the information. This is awesome. Again, part of the New York Toy Fair at the Jacob Javits Center. Dustin, thank you so much for the time. We really, really appreciate it. Boys, it's always a pleasure with y'all. Thank you very much. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car. Are required. Boxing has kind of been out of the mainstream for quite some time, and it was good to see it back, you know, in, in, in people's minds. A lot of talk show hosts talking about it, a lot of sports talk, talking heads, talking about the big fight over the weekend. And, Bully, I know you and I had a conversation yesterday about the Wilder-Tyson Fury fight. A lot of expectations going in. It's funny about how in boxing they always say what if. You know, what if we got, you know, two boxers in their prime? Usually it's the other way around. You're getting one boxer in their prime and the other one's not. Or it's, boy, this fight should have happened seven, eight years ago instead of now. This is one of those rare occurrences in Boxing Bully where two fighters at the top of their game in their prime in the ring at the same time. Um, I found myself very intrigued by this entire fight. You know, they had their first fight, and I had heard about it, and I saw clips of it, and, it, you know, it was a war. And Deontay Wilder is just known for that right hand and being just so intimidating because he's such a big man. But he's in there with a man like Tyson Fury who's actually bigger than him and actually is not really intimidated by anybody. And, 
You see a guy like Fury get knocked down twice by Deontay Wilder in his first fight and is able to basically do the Undertaker sit-up in the 12th round. And it was one hell of a first fight, and it wound up being a draw. But to me, it was just a fight. I really didn't know enough about it. I knew I was intrigued, though, for this second one because of how great of a fight the first one was, and it had the world talking. And this is where boxing and wrestling and storytelling becomes so important because I don't think I knew enough about Deontay Wilder, the man, and Tyson Fury, the man. So I I went on to learn over the past couple of days about Deontay Wilder and why he began fighting, you know. His daughter was born with a disease called spina bifida, and he needed to, you know, make money and raise money, you know, for her health concerns and her doctors, and he did what he knew best. He started to fight, and he got in the ring, and, you know, and he fought, and I I didn't know that story. When 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 you find that out about somebody, you're like, wow, man, this is what this man did for his family. Now I'm immediately emotionally connected to him he's more than a fighter he's more than a guy that could just throw a thunderous right hand he's a man who's legitimately fighting for his family for his daughter so now i care caring is such a big word when it comes to pro wrestling because you want to care i might like somebody for the wrestler they are the way i liked deontay wilder for the boxer he was but now i cared about deontay wilder because he was fighting for his daughter and then i find out more about tyson fury you know we kind of you know took some shots at tyson fury for his match against braun Strowman and saying he should never be in a wrestling meme because listen the wrestling the, the wrestling match wasn't really good it it, it was wonky, you know, to say the best. They got through it, whatever. They did what they had to do. You know, boxing is where Fury truly shines. I never knew why he called himself the Gypsy King. I never got it. I thought it was maybe just some, you know, moniker that he came up with for himself that he thought he was cool. But before the 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 fight started, during the, uh, the pre-match... Um, introductions their entrances to the ring which was so wwe-esque it wasn't funny uh, which made it even that more interesting to me i believe it was max kellerman or one of the announcers is telling the story of why tyson fury calls himself the gypsy king because he comes from a family and a bloodline of irishmen uh, a clan of irishmen irish family who were nomadic who, who who were gypsies who traveled all over and in that band of gypsies, he had bare-knuckle fighters in his family, his uncles or his grandfather, that were, you know, were legit badasses. And if you were the, the best fighter in that clan, in that family, in that gypsy family, you were given the moniker the Gypsy King, and you couldn't have a higher name bestowed upon you. So now I find out that this is all about family to him. He legitimately calls himself the Gypsy King because he was the best fighter within his his family, his band of gypsy nomads, his Irish descendants. I'm a guy who has his family's crest tattooed on his arm that's how much my family means to me now i find out what this moniker means to tyson fury and his family and how he's out there fighting for his family wow now all of a sudden i care about this guy so now i'm going into a fight 
in which I was just looking to see two guys beat the shit out of each other. Now I care about them both. So they have me hooked. It's so pro wrestling. Now we get the entrances. Obviously, Tyson Fury's entrance was so reminiscent of the way they brought in King Corbin. It's no surprise that Triple H and Stephanie were there. And Fury did business with the WWE. So I'm wondering if maybe they helped him with his entrance. Deontay Wilder had a spectacular entrance. He almost looked like a modern-day Darth Vader in, you know, in his getup. So they're borrowing so much from the world of pro wrestling. And it really, really worked. And then after all that, you know, after buying into the emotion of the stories, now we get the actual fight. Now it almost feels like it's the icing on top. And I think Fury had this fight won before the fight even started. There was a pre-fight interview with with, uh, Deontay Wilder where they asked him about the first fight. And Deontay Wilder actually had to admit that in the first fight, he had hit Tyson Fury as hard as he has hit any other man, and Tyson Fury got up. You have to be second-guessing yourself a little bit before you go into that ring when you're knowing that you throw one of the most thunderous right hands since Mike Tyson and another man got up from it. You know, it's so funny that you say that, Bully, because knowing that we were going to talk about this today, I went and did my homework, and you know, I went back and watched the highlights of the fight from Saturday, but then I went back to everything that happened in their first fight that ended as a draw. And I went back and I was watching a lot of interviews with both fighters and a lot of YouTube videos of a lot of sports talk hosts talking about it. And the one that I found the most interesting was Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. And they were talking about that first fight. And this is where there's the connection for me when it comes to pro wrestling. because And I didn't even know about this, but then I started hearing about it. As you talked about that thunderous right hand that Wilder gave Fury in that first fight where it looked like he was knocked out. wasn't only just that right hand, but as Fury was going down, he also connected a left. And it looked like Tyson Fury was out cold. As a matter of fact, it uh, Morrow was doing the commentating a- a- along with Max Kellerman. And, and, and Morrow was doing the whole Mamma Mia, like... The, to him, the fight was over, and as Wilder is walking away, he did the Undertaker throat slash, like that the fight was over, and then at the five count, I mean, Fury s- sat up like the Undertaker, and Shannon, and I'm I'm listening to Shannon Sharp talking about this, and Shannon Sharp is comparing it to the WWE and The Undertaker at WrestleMania. He was like, it looked just like The Undertaker at WrestleMania. He sits up. And right there, as a wrestling fan, I'm listening to them talk about it, and and there's the connection. And then Shannon Sharp mentioned an interview that he had did with Tyson Fury after that fight in the buildup to the fight on Saturday. And Tyson Fury said, and and I didn't know this either, he had a lot of problems with drugs and alcohol. And he said that that right hand that Wilder gave him was nothing compared to the pain and the depression that he felt from all the years of drug and alcoholism. Like, man, if if everything that I've gone through, you don't think I was going to get up after that? I, I took that right hand? And you mentioned human connection right there. Storyline-wise, connection as a wrestling fan, I'm hooked. 
Dave, to hear Tyson Fury talk about his religion and his faith in God and in Jesus and as a practicing Catholic, when he was at the lowest of his lows during his addiction days, he would wake up and pray to God that God would kill him on that day. So no man was ever going to keep Tyson Fury down. He said, if I have breath in my lungs, if I can still breathe, I'm going to get up. When you learn about another human being and what makes them tick the way I learned in the past 48 hours about both of these fighters, you start to relate to them. You start to understand them. We always talk about pro wrestling, about relatability. We talk about how you want to care about somebody, how Dusty Rhodes made me care about him. Tyson Fury made me care about him. I wanted to see this guy redeem himself from his demons. I wanted to see Deontay Wilder make that money to help save his daughter. I'm into both of them. Now we get to the fight. And Deontay Wilder, man, comes off like an intimidating bastard. Like, that is a scary, scary man who you know if he catches you with that right, he can put you down and hurt you. Most of Deontay Wilder's fights, to me, are won before the bell rings because he's got the other guys so intimidated and so scared that they're, they're backpedaling the whole time. Not Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury made the adjustments this time. Instead of fighting on his back foot, Tyson Fury now came forward. And he basically bullied the hell out of Deontay Wilder. And Dave, this was, I was shocked when I saw this. During the pre-fight instructions, when the referee is talking to both guys, he's, you know, saying, you know, don't hit below the blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. Now the referee said, touch gloves and come out fighting. Deontay Wilder put his hands straight out to touch gloves and Tyson Fury waited a half a second and then he came up from underneath and knocked the gloves of Deontay Wilder out of the way and then he came from over the top and knocked Deontay Wilder's hands down. Man, it was so reminiscent of what Ivan Drago did to Rocky. And in that moment in time, I said, this fight is over. I knew that Tyson Fury was not afraid of Deontay Wilder. And Tyson Fury took that fight to him. And listen, it was a mauling. That was like a grizzly bear just mauling somebody because no matter how great of a, of a puncher you are, because Deontay Wilder is not a great boxer. He is a phenomenal puncher. No matter how much of a puncher you are, great punch you are, if you can't get off that thunderous right shot, nothing's going to happen. And and Fury was able to close down the distance and just maul the guy. And we talk about blowing up in a ring, right, Dave? Mm-hmm. You never want to blow up in a wrestling ring because if you blow up in a wrestling ring, you can't perform. Deontay Wilder was blown to the gills because he had a 275-pound man leaning on him the whole time. 
You're taught in pro wrestling not to lean on your opponent because you don't want to blow them up. What Tyson Fury did was he came forward, he threw thunderous shots, and after every single exchange, he leaned on Wilder. He leaned on Wilder. And Wilder had to support his 235 pounds, which he had gone up in weight, and had to support the 275 of Tyson Fury. It made it impossible for him not to blow up. And in the third round, he was gassed. You know, it's so funny because I'm not a boxing expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I was listening to a lot of people who call themselves boxing experts talking about the fight on Saturday and said, the longer the fight goes, the more of the advantage that Dante Wilder has because he has that immense right that at some point he's going to be able to find it and he can knock Tyson Fury out. But what you're forgetting about is what you're just saying. If you're leaning on the guy and all that weight is on him, then you know what? The longer the fight goes, even if you have a tremendous right hand, you're never going to be able to find it because you're blown up. And watching that fight, he was blown up. And not only that, but Tyson Fury, I can tell, is a better technical fighter than Wilder said. You even said it yourself right there. So when you go for that right, you're leaving yourself open. So either way, I don't see how he had the advantage unless you were able to tag him really early. But then like we saw in that last fight, even later in the fight when he tagged him, he was able to get right back up to his feet. And Fury admitted that in that first fight, he was only at 50%. And he said, if I could get up at, at being only at 50%, imagine what it's going to be at 100%. He was so confident. Fury went into that first fight and he was fighting backing up. And then he realized, if I'm backing up, that means I'm giving Wilder an opportunity to unload that right hand. Now he went forward. Six foot nine, 275 pounds, just moving towards you at all times in that ring, throwing haymakers. Listen, Dave, what we see on TV is one thing. I put something up on social media of somebody who was at ringside who actually got some cell phone footage of what it's like ringside being right there. It sounds a lot different. You could hear the thunder in Tyson Fury's fists. It's no joke. That first knockdown rattled Deontay Wilder's cage bad. And, and like I said, with the blowing up, I think he had him mentally blown up from the beginning because when you are able to intimidate men, you have them beat right from the start. When you got a guy like Tyson Fury who's bigger than you and know he's fighting for his family's lineage of bare-knuckle gypsy kings, you don't want to go up against a guy like that. And, and what was crazy was Tyson Fury's dad, John Fury, predicted a couple of weeks ago, he said, my son is going to bully Deontay Wilder and knock him out and beat him up. And man, that's exactly what happened. And you know what? I love what you said, Bully, to start this conversation and that you were ready for that fight by hearing the story of Deontay Wilder and hearing the story of Tyson Fury. And we always talk about, I mean, we just talked about it with Dustin Rhodes about getting that human element. Why did I think that match with Cody and Wardlow and that moment off the top of the cage was so significant? Well, because of the emotion of what it was. We know the story of Cody and his father and what that means to Atlanta and what 
Atlanta meant to that family. That's a story right there. Sirius XM Fight Nation celebrates Black History Month every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Ock and Barack Show. All month long, the show reflects on the life and legacy of different influential African-American athletes. Such icons as Muhammad Ali. Hey, I'm the king of the world. Kobe Bryant. You guys will always be in my heart. I love you guys. Jackie Robinson. Robinson dashes to the plate. Safe. And more will be recognized for the impact they made both in and out of sports. The Yak and Barack Show, weekdays noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation. We saw Tyson Fury in the ring with Braun Strowman in Saudi Arabia not too long ago. On Saturday, we saw Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. So, Bully, I ask you, do you think we're going to get Tyson Fury back in a WWE ring? Well, it seems like Tyson Fury had entirely too much fun his first time there. And now with him being uh, even more over than he was the day he stepped foot in the WWE or him stepping foot in that boxing ring, because this guy got himself over as an entertainer during his entrance and after the fight. I mean, Tyson Fury has shown why he's custom made for the WWE. Comes out, you know, on the throne. I mean, we've seen that before, a la, you know, King Haku or King uh, Harley Race Race, or or King Corbin. It's very WWE-esque. He's singing Patsy Cline's Crazy during his entrance. He's actually singing the words to the song, having a great time. Then goes out there and just completely kicks Deontay Wilder's ass. And then afterwards decides to take the microphone and grab the brass ring, entertain the entire world, get himself over by having a sing-along of American Pie. I mean, this guy is custom fit for the WWE. The WWE is going to want the boxing world or undisputed champion on their side now. And I could see the Gypsy King versus King Corbin happening down the line. When Tyson Fury jumped into the world of professional wrestling, not that long ago, I have to be honest, I really didn't know anything about him. And, you know, I just didn't want Tyson Fury to go into a ring and embarrass somebody like Braun Strowman because you knew once Saudi Arabia was over, Tyson Fury was going to be gone. And then it's going to be Braun Strowman that's going to be on your TV each and every week. And I don't think he was embarrassed by any stretch of the imagination, but I think a lot of people looked at that match like you said. It was just, it was what it was, you know? Um, But now it's a different story. I think coming out of this past weekend, everybody knows who Tyson Fury is. So I think the reaction of the wrestling fan and the mainstream fan is going to be completely different if Tyson Fury steps into a WWE ring than the way it was before. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, this guy won me over so much um, from beginning to end. He won me over so much that I wouldn't mind seeing him in WWE ring again because I know he can entertain. Uh, I really liked what he did after the fight was over. I mean, he went over, Tyson Fury went over to Deontay Wilder and he said, God bless you. God bless your family. You are a hell of a fighter. And then admitted to him, he goes, man, you caught me with that shot in that first round. I felt like I got hit with a stick of dynamite. He's very, very gracious in winning. He was very humble. Um, and I, when you know, a lot of guys 
fighters, athletes, whatever, you, you know, after they win the big one, it's always, you know, like, glory to God, praise Jesus. And sometimes I feel like people are going through the motions of saying the right thing. When Tyson Fury was praising Jesus and showing his faith and his religion, I legitimately bought into it because I know that it was his religion that brought him back from the depths of his addiction. So when I hear somebody speak that passionately about his family, speak that passionately about his religion, fight as passionately as he did, and then go over to the guy whose ass you just kicked and put him over too and let him know, hey, brother, everything is going to be okay because you're one hell of a fighter. It's impossible for me to not like Tyson Fury. So now we know his story. So the next time we see him in the WWE ring, the story is already started and is being told. And the world of boxing and wrestling have mixed over generations and decades. And we saw it with Muhammad Ali, with Antonio Inoki and Gorilla Monsoon. You know, we saw it with Mike Tyson. We saw it with Floyd Mayweather. And, you know, this is probably the biggest heavyweight boxer in the mainstream since Mike Tyson. So it seems custom-made. And since there's already that element there, since we've already seen him in the WWE ring, and since it's probably going to be a while before Tyson Fury steps into a boxing ring, who knows? I, if, if, I'm, if I'm Triple H and I'm Stephanie McMahon, part of that conversation the next time I speak to Tyson Fury is, when can we use you? And there's, is there any way we can see you in Tampa at WrestleMania 36? That's the goal. If I'm in the WWE, I, I, I'm striking while the iron's hot. I'm catching that lightning in a bottle. He's already been there. We did it in Saudi. Now you're the undisputed champion. I know there's one other cha- uh, heavyweight championship belt out there. I think Anthony Joshua has it. I, I'm not positive. Um, but I think that Fury holds the major ones. If I'm the WWE, I'm trying to get him uh, at WrestleMania because that would be the attraction match, the crossover match that the WWE is always looking forward. Vince McMahon versus Donald Trump, um, Mr. T, um, uh, you know, Lawrence Taylor, the, the list yeah. goes on and on. Um, if you now have Tyson Fury versus King Corbin or, or, or something of that nature, there's... There's your attraction where people that are not necessarily WWE fans or wrestling fans now have to see WrestleMania. I have to buy a ticket to WrestleMania or I have to get the network or I have to buy it on pay-per-view because I want to see what the hell Tyson Fury is going to do. So I'm sure. And with Shane and uh, with uh, Hunter and Stephanie being there to support him with the WWE-esque entrance that he had, I'm sure that the lines of communication are are open and they're doing everything they can to get him there. Yeah, and and now the question is this. We've seen him in the ring before. Now he's even a bigger star than he ever was before after what we saw this weekend. Triple H and Stephanie were there, so I think the door is wide open for a return of Tyson Fury into a WWE ring. And like you said, custom made for Tampa and WrestleMania 36. So now poses the question, is this something that the wrestling fan wants to see? Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.